Well, praise God. How's everybody doing today? Was that fun? I, I just, that's my favorite part. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I love it when we just get to flow with what God's doing. I think that's got to be the walk with Christ, flowing with what God's doing. You know, it's so beautiful. Did you guys know that you can be releasing heaven in your sphere, in your area of influence without mentioning the name Jesus? Not because you're ashamed to mention the name Jesus, but because you carry Christ in you. You carry the Holy Spirit. And when you're bringing comfort and confidence and peace and encouragement and compliments, how many of you know those are kingdom values? Come on. You're bringing heaven. You know, it's so amazing. I've, I've talked with people never even mentioning Christ before, and I'll just come in, and, and I might see somebody... Um, I might see a store clerk or something, and, and I'll just be talking, you know, and I'm, I'm in there getting something, bacon, or what, if it's bacon, it's a good day. So I'm in an especially anointed mood, and, and I just will turn to the clerk, and I'll just say, hey, how are you doing today? And I just smile, and you know, a lot of people forget to smile. Did you know that smiles were God's idea? You know, and, uh, and, uh, and then I'll just say, so, so how are you today? And they go, yeah, I'm doing all right. And I go, yeah, but you know, I really appreciate it the job that you're doing for me. And I'm not being a cheese ball. I mean, I honestly do appreciate it. And, and, uh, and I'll say, you know, I just, I notice, I notice something about you. I notice that, that you're an encourager or, or I've noticed, you know what, there's something about you. I, I just perceive that you're a very patient person. And they'll go, you know, a lot of people tell me that. And I go, that's beautiful about you. Have a great day. And, I, and I've, I've given little encouragements like that before and, and people have started to cry. Like, Really? You notice that about me? <laughs> and, and you know, it's Jesus used to say all the time, he would say, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. It's, we don't always have to tell people that the kingdom of heaven has come near them, though the kingdom of heaven is coming near people often because you're coming near them. I want, in the name of Jesus, I just release your awareness, that God would heighten your awareness of the kingdom of heaven, which is, which is within you, that you would begin to perceive both the needs around you and Christ in you meeting those needs. Most of those needs that you meet with your colleagues are emotional needs. Most of the needs that you're meeting in your peer relationships are emotional needs. People need encouragement. They need to be recognized and valued, and you're releasing that. Did you know that that's a kingdom value? Did you know Jesus is the one that came up with that idea? You could encourage me a little bit right now because this is really good. <laughs> are you guys picking up what I'm throwing down? I'm telling you that, you're, that you are in a position of in tremendous influence right now. And I feel like the Lord just wants to open your eyes up that you'd begin to see more of it. And that it's not, that, you know, we just talked about changing our filter of, you know, during that worship time just now, the Holy Spirit was bringing up this idea of that we have sort of a critical eye towards others like, well... Ooh, you know, I'll invite somebody to church after Pastor Joshua finally gets his act together. You know, when he becomes a, I mean, he's good. He's got some good stuff in there somewhere. But when he really gets good, well, then I'll start inviting my friends. But, you know, the truth is there's a, that part of that is true. I mean, I want to always aspire to excellence. But part of that is, can be, it can be that critical spirit that says when Joshua acts a lot more like me, or at least like my favorite pastor, Joel Osteen, then... I'm just assuming y'all's favorite pastor is Joel Osteen, but um, then I can begin to, then I can show up, then I can begin to put my own reputation on the line a little bit, and, and, and what I'm saying is that's a trap, because 
One, there can be only one Joel. And two, God really likes me. Three, if I do say something really stupid that offends you, I really do want you to come to me and tell me because I do care about how I affect other people. And if there's something that is offensive, I really want to hear about it. But disengaging is not an option for any of us, is it? You guys are beautiful. You guys are beautiful. You know one thing that's really cool about this house is just the commitment of heart that just flows out of your lives. This is a powerful tribe. This is a beautiful people that we are. You're a family. You're my family. You're one another's family. And God is just, he's giving us more and more influence. I'm so honored that he's trusting us with more influence. I want to thank you guys for being willing to continue to move and grow in maturing to be more and more like Christ. I want to thank you for your willingness to fulfill the things that God's asked us to do, that we're called to gather together with the saints, to stir each other up to good works, to extend the kingdom. And here you are. Here you are. You're choosing to come and worship the one true God. Come on. That's beautiful. Not only that, but you're bringing your own strength, your own power into the house, and you're, and you're obeying where he says, pay your tithe. Come in and bring a tenth of your income. Honor me with not just words, but with actions. Take your actual power, the fruit of your strength, your money. You guys know the golden rule, right? He who has the gold makes the rules. You're taking a tenth. You're taking your gold and you're saying, I declare on this earth, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as far as it is with me, the kingdom of heaven will not be impeded because the equippers are broke. The kingdom of heaven will not be slowed because there's poverty in the houses of worship in this land. No, as far as it is with me, I will release generosity because I am a follower of Christ. And I commend you because that's who you are. And now I'm going to preach. I want to start in Mark 11. For those of you that have just come, we've been reading through the New Testament, and uh, it's been awesome. We're reading through, um, we're going uh, chronologically at first, and we're actually reading together um, the, the four Gospels, but we've combined them. So you're actually reading like four different angles of many of the same stories. And how many of you have done that before? A couple of you. How many are really enjoying doing it for the first time? Three of you. Wow. How many of you are reading? Okay, don't, don't raise your hand. I don't want to hurt anybody. We just got over criticism. I don't want to open that door, you know? <laughs> so at any rate, we're reading through, and then we're meeting in homes, and we're talking about what we've been reading. We're, we're discussing and saying, Lord, in light of this scripture, in light of your word, in light of who Christ Jesus is, and, and now that you're at the right, right hand of God in heaven, what must I do in response to this word? How must I live? What must I do? And it's been really fruitful. Um, so if you're, if you're not a part of a, uh, of a life group, if you're not meeting in a, in a home somewhere and you want to do that for this journey, it's not too late. Jump on board. There's little inserts. You can show up for any of those groups. They're meeting in homes at various different times. Uh, Bob Avery's leading one on Thursday mornings. There's several that meet on Wednesday nights, and there's one that's full. So never mind, I was going to pitch something that stopped talking now, Josh. Okay, so you know it's bad when you have to talk to yourself to stop talking. Come on. 
All right, so we're going to jump in there because we've been reading together. And this is some of the reading you've already done and then a little bit more that you're going to read that's coming up. So starting with Mark 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you and as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Then say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back or send it here. So they went their way and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded and so they let them go. There's a prophetic word right there, huh? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded them. I like that. Somebody needs to say I received that for myself. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and the others cut down leafy branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now here's what's very cool. What they just said was written hundreds of years earlier that it would be said. And it was in Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah, the book where that prophetic word was written, was written around... 520 B.C. So it's 553 years later, Jesus, who's about 33 years old, is getting ready to go into Jerusalem, fulfilling a prophetic word that was written down over 500 years before he did it. Now, we're so used to this that we're just sort of like, well, yeah, and he was raised from the dead, duh. But the truth is, I think sometimes it's important for us to to engage our mind a little bit and kind of quantify some of these things that we believe. How many of you guys know that we live in a cultural climate here in the earth? We are postmodern at this point. We, we went through the Enlightenment. We went through the modern age. We went into now the, the postmodern age. And now we're not sure what we are. We're the, we're the millennials. We're, we're kind of figuring out what it is that, that we figure out, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, Chesterton said at one point, when we cease to believe in God, we don't believe in nothing. We believe in anything. There's a country song that also says that you got to believe in something or you'll fall for anything. For those of you that would connect with that. You want me to sing it? At any rate, it's a great point. Why, why am I bringing this up? Because the, the, the place that we live, the, the way that people are thinking and reasoning right now in this time of history is that they're asking like Pilate, not what is true, but what is truth. Are you guys with me? So when you go to speak with someone, when you go to engage them about Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, and 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 you're trying to lay something out for those that you're speaking with, and and they're asking questions, because honestly, this isn't a, a, a more wicked and perverse generation than any other lost orphans of God who have been wounded and are acting out in various different ways. It's 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 the same level of darkness in the hearts of men and women who need to be transformed by his love. 
But there's a way of thinking that we have to be aware of that's going on in other people so we can connect with them where they're at. And people are needing to be engaged with more than pat answers. Are you guys with me? They, they need to see more than just one facet of something. And I, and I actually think, you know what? That's beautiful. That's beautiful that we're getting to engage people in a time where, 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 where people are asking for more than just like, well, just, just give me the truth. Just lay it on me straight. Give me that one thing, and I will, I will utter that incantation of salvational awesomeness, and from then on, I got my ticket. I'll see you in heaven. Although there's a beauty to that, that, it, that, that salvation is a free gift and that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven by believing in the Son, Jesus Christ, and that's beautiful, there's also many other implications of what's going on, and, and there's all kinds of beautiful evidence speaking to the reality of this Christ. And it's okay for us to engage on more than one level. Amen? All right. So I want to engage on one of those levels. I don't think I wrapped up my point about our, our postmodern friends or, or, our, or our millennial friends, I guess. I don't know. Who knows what the latest catchphrase is for what's going on? Maybe email it to me, text it to me, but not right now. <laughs> what, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to engage with our heart, but also with our mind. How many of you know that we've been transformed we're renewed by the transforming of our mind by Christ Jesus. There's not a breakdown. You don't have to let go of one part in order to embrace the other. The truth is you have to let go of all of it, and you get born again. Your heart didn't get born again, but your brain didn't. Can I get an amen? Right? This is good news for us. You get to think. God isn't offended when you do it. He likes it. He gave you the mind of Christ. So therefore, when we're engaging with people, I want you to discern. Let's go back to my store clerk friend. I want you to discern. This woman needs to be encouraged. I've noticed sometimes when I've, when I've, in, when I've encountered people and I'm discerning something that God is saying about them, sometimes they're actually acting the opposite way. I've given, words of, I've given prophetic words over people who are, in point of fact, actually very patient, who were currently treating me very impatiently. But when I gave the word, they were like, you know, I get told that all the time. And I'm thinking, not by me. You know, not by, not by any. This is a miracle. It's a sign and a wonder. What's my point? You're, you're discerning both what is true because God has put the spirit of God in you and you're being able to release that to others, sometimes in spite of what you're actually seeing right then. Does that make sense? So I'm engaging with what I'm seeing, but I'm also engaging with the Spirit. But then I'm also asking questions. You know, I'm not just saying, well, you're a, you're a really patient person. And they're thinking, I'm not being patient with you right now. Like, there's nothing in me that feels patient. I think you're just being a smart aleck. But no, I'm engaging beyond that. And I'm saying, you know, I perceive that you're a very patient person. And, and my language is, is going with that. And I'm saying, in fact, I feel like there's a lot of people that, you're, that you encourage often and that you're working actually through a couple things with a couple of people right now. And it's really trying that patience. Is that true? And you notice I don't stop right there. I say, is that true? And they say, that is true. How did you know that? And maybe I might say, because I know your father. You know, I know your dad in heaven, and he loves you, and he wants you to know right where you are. Now, you notice I did more than one thing. I actually took the time to find out if, in fact, this thing that I believe is actually true. 
So I want us to engage right here. Zechariah was written 500 and Written in 520 B.C., Jesus is now about 33 years old. So at least 553 years later, Jesus gets onto a donkey and rides into Jerusalem. That might not seem like a big deal, but it is, and I'm going to explain a little more about that. I want to jump ahead now, um, and I want to talk about another scripture, another prophetic word that Jesus fulfilled. And you guys have been reading these in the Word, so I'm going to go ahead and jump around a little bit here, but I want to give you a few of these verification verses, okay? Jesus was also of the line of Judah, fulfilling the prophetic word written down around 1513 B.C. 1500 and, well, actually, we've got to add the 33, right? So then we've got like 1546 years before Jesus showed up. This was written about him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawyer, nor a lawyer, nor a lawyer, sorry. Amen. Lord, we just release blessing over all the lawyers and thank you for them. (laughs) The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The New Living Translation states it this way, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs the one whom all nations will honor. And Jesus is is of the line of Judah. This prophetic word is saying the Messiah will come from the line of Judah. 1,500 years before, when the sons are being blessed by their father, the 12 tribes, he lays his hand on Judah and says to him this, the scepter, the rulership, will not depart from you, Judah. And then you see God for 1,500 years preserves Judah. And Jesus comes through the line of Judah and fulfills this word. The one of whom all nations will honor. Come on, that's exciting, isn't it? Well, I'm just glad to see you guys moving around about that. (laughs) Mark 26, 14 says this. I'm going to jump ahead again. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and he asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, if you you haven't been reading with us, this probably isn't as fun. Uh, But if you've been reading, you're like, hey, I just read that headline this week. So for those of you, yeah, we're on inside track together. Come on. For the rest of you, you're invited. Reading schedules are on the information counter. So here God is fulfilling another prophecy about Christ. Judah, Jude, I'm sorry, Judas is coming and he's saying, hey, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? All right, well, 500 years ago, there was something to be said about that in Zechariah. And then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, this is from Zechariah 11. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. And so they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. And so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Now this whole scenario with Zechariah is really interesting because the whole thing is a prophetic act. God sent him to go do a thing. He does it. Then when he's done, God says, now go to them and ask them, what, what, to pay you your wages, whatever's agreeable. And they say, well, here's 30 pieces of silver. So they weigh them out. <coughs> and and uh, yeah, if not refrain. So they weigh them out. And the Lord says to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price that they set on me. And so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. This is all a prophetic act. He takes it, literally goes in, throws it 
throws it in the temple for the potter. Zechariah doesn't even necessarily know what's going on here. He's just obeying what God's telling him to do. 500 years later, this word is fulfilled. This is Jesus speaking. He says, throw it to the potter, that princely price. Who's the prince? Jesus. Set on me. Jesus speaking. And so then Zechariah says, I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Well, as you continue to read next week, you're going to see where Judas then realizes what he's done. And when Jesus is given over to be crucified, he, he repents of what he's done. He realizes, oh my gosh, they're going to kill him, you know. And uh, I think Judas deep down believed that if he pushed the envelope, Jesus would step up and overthrow the government, that he would come in and bring about revolution. That's my own opinion um, because he was shocked at what happened afterwards. He's, kinda, he's like, I've seen you turn water into wine. I've seen you bring people back from the dead. I've seen you multiply bread. I've seen you find money in fish's mouths. I mean, talk, fishing is already awesome enough on its own. When you go fishing with Jesus, they have coins in their mouth. I mean, that's like, come on. Come on, fishermen. No love on that? So he, so he, he, he realizes what he's done, and you're going to read, he throws the 30 pieces of silver into the temple. And then the priests say, we can't spend this money on temple business because it's blood money, you know, the money that we paid to Judas to kill Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to buy a field for, to bury foreigners in, and it was called the potter's field. Now, this all came down 500 years before Jesus set foot on the earth. Judas wasn't even born yet. I mean, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Thank you. That's Bible. Is, now, I'm going to just assume this morning, being the secure and confident pastor that I am, that this is just so deep that you're just like thinking about it at a core level. And that this, that's what that silence is. But for those of you that can multitask, I don't mind a little encouragement. It's totally awesome for me. That first part of the sermon was for me. So that you'd be, in, there we, thank you. <laughs> so Jesus, he fulfilled every prophecy written about the coming Messiah given in the law and the prophets, okay? So I, I just gave you a couple of examples, which in of themselves are extraordinary. It's extraordinary, this man Jesus, who's claiming to be the Son of God. Now, if, if, if anyone in this room stood up and said, I am the Son of God, we'd all be like, yeah, sit down. You know, I mean, come on, man. But Jesus showed up, and, and, he's, and he's fulfilling uh, scripture left and right. He's doing things that no one else has ever done. And then he's beginning to say, listen, I am the son of God. Now that creates a whole set of circumstances where if he is, it's not just a like, hey, I raised somebody from the dead. Well, you know what? Elijah raised somebody from the dead. Jesus wasn't the only one who raised somebody from the dead, remember? Okay. Well, I, uh, you know, I did some cool heaven magic. Well, so did the other prophets. You know, they made oil that didn't run out. They called down fire from heaven. You know, they made a staff turn into a snake, parted the Red Sea. I mean, you haven't even parted a Red Sea yet. So even those signs in of themselves, although amazing, did not confirm that Jesus was in point of fact the Messiah, the Son of God. No, it's more than that. The Old Testament... This word that we have, it's actually 39 different books written by dozens of different authors 
over a span of 1,500 years. This isn't like one author who sat down and said, and then he will this, and then he will that. No, this is, this is 1,500 years, dozens of different authors writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing history, but then also bringing in prophetic words inspired by the Spirit of God 1,500 years before Christ comes. And Jesus comes and begins to fulfill not one, not two, all of the prophecies about the Messiah. Now, this is hard for us to catch, and I, know, and I know for us that already believe, we're sort of like, well, yeah, I know, I get it. I'm a follower of Christ, hello. But here's the thing. We also need to get it. Like, we get it, but we gotta, we gotta, there's a confidence that needs to be there. You know, Jesus can hold up to scrutiny. He can hold up to scrutiny. And that's great news for us. It's not just a feeling in my heart. You know, people say, well, it takes faith to believe. Well, it's true. It does take faith to believe. But when you begin to look at the evidence for who Jesus claimed to be and who he is, your faith turns into faith in his character, not faith in his existence. Because it takes faith to not believe in his existence. You have to ignore all of the evidence in order to say he doesn't exist. So there's, this is something different that we're talking about. I'm beginning to have faith. You know, I have faith in my wife, Karen. She happens to be sitting right over there in all of her beauty, and I love her. But I can tell you something about Karen. If she wasn't in this room, if she were to walk out that door and go somewhere, I don't have any, without talking to her, I have no idea where she'd be going, but I can tell you where she wouldn't be. She wouldn't be in the arms of another man. How do I know that? Because I have faith in Karen. I know this woman. I trust her character. I've been with her. She's the most generous, honest person that I've ever known. So, so do I know? Do I know where she is when I don't see her? No, I don't always. But I'll tell you, I know where she isn't. Well, this is what it is. to. It is impossible to please God without faith. It doesn't mean that I believe in fairy tales and if I wish upon a star with all my might and close my eyes really tight that I will get some kind of a wish. No, it means that I believe in the character of the one who has gone and written the story of salvation into all of creation that is verifiable and historic, that is undeniable in every place. It doesn't take faith to believe in God. It takes faith to please him. It means I trust his character. But the evidence is irrefutable. We have to suspend our intellect in order to deny the presence of the Christ. And let me talk a little bit about this. So the chances of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the hundreds of prophecies about him is one chance in 100 million billion. To me, this does sound like a fairy tale. I was, I was, how much will you give me? 100 million billion. Is that even a word? It actually is. Let me quantify this a little bit. If we took... If one took this number in silver dollars, 100 million billion, it would cover the entire state of Texas to a depth of two feet. This is just a cool picture of Texas, and obviously not all of it. So, but it just kind of gives you an idea of scope. And I really do like the fact that the silver dollar says, in God we trust. I just feel like that's a, just fun for me. But now I've told you, so you're sharing in it, huh? <laughs> now, imagine one of those 100 million billion coins has been marked. Eek. Okay. If I were to blindfold Joshua and I sent him out into Texas 
And Texas is 268,820 square miles. All right, so that's, that's a fair bit. All right, now it's covered two feet deep in silver dollars, one of which I've marked. And I blindfold Josh, and I send him out into Texas to find my one coin blindfolded. The chances of him reaching down the first time and picking it up are exactly the same odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. It's kind of hard to believe he's not the Messiah. You, 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 are you feeling that? That's so fun. Just eight. The probability of Jesus fulfilling just 48 prophecies about the Messiah is equal to one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's even bigger than our national deficit. To, to put this into perspective, actually, I was really encouraged when I read this because I was like, well, shoot, our national deficit, according to some numbers, at worst, the, the unofficial numbers is about $100 trillion. Well, Jesus fulfilled 48 prophecies, so I'm not worried. I mean, we talk about, the stuff we talk about is about, what, 17 trillion at the moment, but anyway. To put this into perspective, it's equal to the number of atoms found in a trillion, 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 billion universes the size of our universe, the Milky Way. I, I still can't really get my brain to do that. I'm like, Psh. I mean, because our universe is like, what? I mean, it's big, right? So a lot of those. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that point. Here's the point. Wow, just 48. He fulfilled over 300. This is just so we can try to get our mind wrapped around the probability of Jesus Christ faking being the Messiah. Even if the scripture weren't inspired by God, the chances of one man fulfilling everything in that fictional book, because no one is doubting the age of the book. Even if you doubted the authorship or the, or the validity of the story itself, these numbers still stand. That's a pretty impressive Moby Dick. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm having fun. All right. So what is my point? My point is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God, the, that God the Father sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life, that He came not to condemn the world but to save it by not counting our sins against us. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is undeniably, verifiably, historically, philosophically, scientifically the Christ. And he loves you. And this is what he has to say. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is John 17. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. I want to remind you what we just talked about. This isn't just anyone saying, I've been given authority over all flesh. This is the one who just proved through his life that he is undeniably the Son of God. He has a right to say this. He has the authority to say this. He is within reality to say this. And he says, all authority, you've given, you have given him, the, the Messiah, authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And do we know as many as he wants to give? He says he desires that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. So nobody misses that. How many of you know that God sends no one to hell? Only we can send anyone to hell. And that person that we can send is ourself. We do have that authority. I have authority over my own life. I can choose God or I can reject him. That is completely up to me. But I know this. The Father desires that none would go. And the only way I can go is by, him, by me saying to him, I reject you, Jesus. I reject you as the Son. I reject you, Father. I want nothing to do with you. I refuse your love. I refuse your advances of affection. I hold these other things against you and I choose something other than you. I deny you and I depart from you. I do not want you. And he will say with tears in his eyes, then depart from me because I never knew you. I wanted to know you. I wrote salvation in all of creation. Everything speaks of the knowledge of the glory of my love for you. All of history speaks of my heart that you'd be brought back to me. I've done everything. I didn't, I, I went one further than going myself. I even let my beloved son. How many of you, if your child was going to be killed, would, would volunteer to do it yourself? I think everyone here. How much harder would it be to stand by and watch your own child die? I used to have an accusation against the father. I thought, you're a coward, father. You didn't go yourself. And he said, do you think it was easier to watch my son die than to go myself? Is that how you feel about me? And in that moment, how I felt about him changed. He said, it would have been easier for me to go. This is the heart of the father. He will not stand by and with great gladness condemn those who have rejected him. He will with sorrow. And I think that we'll weep too. We will be comforted, but I believe we'll weep too. That day won't be a great day of joy. The joy will be being with the Father. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I'm gonna paraphrase for a moment. I have fulfilled all of the prophecies about me. Born of a virgin, born in Galilee, went into Egypt, came out of Egypt, came out of Galilee. I mean... It is just incredible. Of the line of Judah, broke bread, fulfilled the Passover, 
it just goes on and on and on. As we continue to journey together through the word, I pray that your eyes would be open. You'd begin to delight even more and more. And like, you actually did that. You, that's amazing. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then he goes to the cross. We'll see you next week. I want you guys to grab some of those cards out there on that table and invite some of your friends. I feel like Jesus has good things to say to them, yeah? Yeah. All right, have a great week, guys. If you need prayer, the prayer servant team will be up front.